Let's keep this wonder moment for a few more minutes and let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we don't want to rush away from this, the picture of the cross of Jesus Christ, where you have demonstrated to us the greatness of your love and grace, the picture of a Savior and of a Father who would give his one and only Son to come and die not for his own sins but for the sins of the world, for my sins, for our sins. To love us that much, Father, let us not lose the wonder of that. May the picture of Christ's love for us constantly be in the forefront of our lives. I pray, Father, that we might always dwell with a conscious sense of the grace of God for us. May our lives be presented to you as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable, pleasing to you. It is our reasonable service. It is what we can give back to you, Father. Give ourselves, give of our best, give of our all to you. That we might be holy and pure people before you. Desiring to be in your presence. Nothing between myself and the Savior. Our Father, we can come and praise you and worship you. But the picture of the cross lived out in our lives is done so by obeying the teachings of whatsoever Christ has commanded us. I pray this morning that you will cause us to give our attention to your word and apply it to our lives. Father, I pray that we will understand the scriptures from your heart and the urgency based on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I pray, Father, this, this next while you will chase away every distraction, every obstacle, every diversion, that our hearts might be transfixed on you, and that our minds might focus on your word, that our hearts might embrace its truth, that the Holy Spirit of God might do his work in our midst. Father, do your cleaning work among us. We invite you here. We thank you that you are here. We love you because you love us first. So now, to you alone, we offer our praise and our attention. You are the King of Kings, after all. And this is a royal event this morning in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If I mention the word SARS, there's a ripple of fear rolls across the congregation. 2003, remember? The world was coming to an end. SARS was here. 44 people died, which is tragic. And then there was H1N1. Ooh. 2009. It was here again. 
And oh, we were afraid. There were calls that went out. Cancel church. We better not gather together. We'll make each other die if we give each other a holy kiss. So there was no holy kissing. Wait a second. There's no holy kissing today, is there? (laughs) 49 people died. What struck me is the irony of all ironies was during the SARS crisis, an American faith healer canceled a campaign in Canada. It was that day that I, I jumped off the faith healer ship. <laughs> I realized that um, they might be able to lengthen legs and have people stand up out of wheelchairs, but they couldn't fix SARS. We make a big deal, don't we, out of physical health challenges. We put up our hand sanitizers. We don't rub our eyes anymore. We wash our hands all the time. We keep ourselves meticulously clean on the outside. But I wonder about our souls. I wonder how much we care about the sickness of our soul. I wonder if we go to urgent action to take care of that. 44 and 49, I guess that makes 93. Tragic deaths. But I don't wonder how many people died during those times with sin-sick souls. We didn't make a big deal out of that. Would you turn in your Bibles with me, please, this morning to James chapter 5 as we, Lord willing, complete our series I want to tell you who makes a big deal out of your soul and its health. That's Jesus. And certainly James thinks it's a big deal, and he got his material from Jesus. And James' point in the last part of this chapter is that big, real people take sin seriously. Because sin will make you sick, and eventually it will make you dead. It's a pretty big issue. I'm going to pick up from verse 15 of James chapter 5 as we encounter James' final thoughts. We've looked at four of them, patience in the face of suffering, respect for God, the power of prayer, and now he talks about making, taking sin seriously. And the prayer offered in faith, verse 15, will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers... If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Uh, It doesn't get much more powerful and important than this section of God's word, really. 
And I hope that, um, that you will listen and open up your hearts to what God has to say to you today. We had a powerful service in the first service this morning. God did business with people's lives. Now, sometimes sickness is just out there. It's the reality of living in a fallen world and intersecting with that reality. In fact, in John chapter 9, we learned that. The man that was born blind and his disciples said to Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus answered, neither. But this blindness was that the glory of God might be revealed in his life. Sometimes sickness, illness, ailments are just part of being in the fallen world, and God glorifies himself in your life. But there are times, we all know that sickness and sin causes people to suffer, but sometimes the two are directly connected. We have other examples besides this place in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, and I'll somewhat paraphrase them, but there in that text, Paul was writing to the church in in Corinth and said, anyone who eats or drinks while disrespecting or disregarding the body of Christ eats or drinks judgment on themselves. And then he says, that's why some of you are weak and some of you are sick and some of you are asleep. And he didn't mean laying in bed waking up the next morning. And in this particular section of the text, I think we have the two examples of this. In the first part of this sickness teaching that James gives us, it's talking about kind of the normal sickness that's urgent, that's very serious and, and, and death-threatening, but it is part of being uh, uh, in a fallen world. But then he moves on to this, and he says, if he has sinned, or in other words, there's a possibility that the sinfulness or the sickness that someone is encountering is directly related to sinful choices they are living in their lives. If he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. So actually, this fourth upgrade, as he gives his final conclusion, concluding thoughts, has to do with how you manage sin in the church. And manage it, we must. It's like a SARS epidemic. It's like an H1N1 epidemic. It's a serious matter. Now, now make no mistake about it. The church is a spiritual community. The church is not a social community. It's not an educational community. It's not a procedural community. It's not a political community. It's not a medical community. It's not a special interest community. The church, first and foremost, is a spiritual com- community. That's our modus operandi. That, that's our business model. That's our urgency. It's about the soul. It's about the spiritual reality of your life. The spiritual well-being of people is the most urgent concern of the church. The eternal soul is our business. A business that has been given us by Christ. The health of your soul, the health of my soul, together in our community is of of the most urgent concern. And sometimes the state of our soul, if it's not in good shape, is demonstrated on our bodies. It's demonstrated on the outward. It shows forth physically. 
It, it has a look to it. It has a feel to it. We look at someone and we say, hey, what happened to you? Your, your whole demeanor is down. You've got no joy in your life. You've got no sparkle in your face. You, you, you've got a sickness in your life. You, you're not engaging the people of God. Something is happening in your life. It's really obvious. We sometimes think we're hiding all of this stuff from each other. We're not hiding it from each other. Certainly not those who are spiritually sensitive. So this morning I want to look at this issue of what is ailing your soul. It matters. We better take a look at it. It, It's making you physically, emotionally, socially sick. When there's a health pandemic, action occurs. We get masks, we get hand sanitizers, we wash our hands, we don't rub our eyes, the sick are tended to, we quarantine people. There's a flurry of attention. Well, I want to tell you this morning that sin might be making you sick. Now, what's the first thing you do when you go to a doctor? Do you become a mute? Stand before him and say, hey, guess what's wrong with me? Go ahead, I dare you. Or, or, do, or do we make doctors chase us all over? I mean, I'm not going to the doctor. I'm deathly sick, but he's going to have to find me. Maybe do that to dentists. We don't do that to doctors. Because <laughs> we get doctors free, I think. I think that's the deal. No, 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 we go, we, we tell them everything. The first thing we do, we walk in, they say, well, what's wrong with you? They, we just like confess it all to them. Well, I've been eating this, I've been doing this, I've been, whatever. But when our soul is sick, we clam up, go into hiding, hope nobody will find us, nobody will know. Is that healthy? According to this text, the church as a spiritual community must be a confessing community. Therefore, he says, if if people have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, you better confess your sins, James writes. The church must be a confessing community. Spiritual health is dependent on identifying and removing toxic spiritual matters, just like the physical body. First, confession to each other. Sickness that is caused by sinfulness can be alleviated. That's James' contention here. He is saying to us, confess your sins and pray for one another that you might be healed. Now, um, here's, what the, here's what Dr. Jesus orders. First, confession to each other. Confession means come clean. Own up. Agree with the Lord that what you are doing is sinful. That's what confession means. It, it, it means it's the first step to repentance. It's what it means to, to step forward and, and agree with God that what I am doing is, is outside of his perfect will. It's against his holiness and his purity. Esau is an example of a man who sinned but, but couldn't come to the place of confession and therefore was not forgiven. 
In fact, just a couple of pages back in your Bible, in Hebrews chapter 12. In fact, verse 14, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That holiness, purity of life, avoiding sin, getting rid of sin, confessing sin, getting cleansed from sin, being forgiven of sin. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Why? He could bring about no change of mind. Or another way of saying that, no repentance. Though he sought the blessing with tears. He sought the blessing. All he wanted was the good thing of God. He didn't want anything to do with God necessarily. He wasn't prepared to confess that he was a sinner and needed to respond to God. And therefore he couldn't repent. He couldn't change his mind. He wasn't forgiven and he wasn't blessed. James says, don't let that happen to you. Don't let that grab hold of your life and, and form a root of bitterness in your life. Sin grab its tentacles into your being. Oh, there's a diagnosis and there's a protocol and there's a recovery. First confession to each other. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then forgiveness by God. That's why James writes, therefore, he says, if he has sinned, he will for be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins so you will be forgiven and pray for each other so you will be healed. Forgiveness follows confession, and healing follows forgiveness. Now, this sickness can come about by a mistreatment of our own bodies, the temple of the Lord. If we allow stress and worry or substance abuse to, to gain foothold in our lives, when God says, cast all your cares on me, I care for you. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, make your, your thanksgiving, make your prayers known, make your requests known to God. We know that's, that substance abuse is going to damage our bodies. A sinful choice to live in dependence on other things beside God is going to make us sick. But we also can damage the body of Christ, the community of believers, by our gossip or our backstabbing or our, our self-centered mistreatment of each other, that makes us sick. And you say, well, can't I just go to God myself, get this right? Sure, yeah, you can. The problem is, we don't. We keep living in our sin because we want to. And we're hiding from each other and we're hiding the truth about our lives. We're hiding our sicknesses and our impurities. We're walking around trying to get dressed up on Sunday looking like we're really healthy. But we can't hide really who we really are and for sure we can't hide who we are from God. And either we don't really want to quit or... 
Our pride is in the way. And if pride is in the way, you're never going to get your way to, you're never going to get access to God to, 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 to get, gain forgiveness from him. Can I give you a four, about four reasons why it's important that we confess our sins one to the other? And that's what the Bible teaches, by the way, and that's the first, is it's biblical. Sharing sins enables the community to own the spiritual health crisis together. SARS, H1N1, all of these pandemics, all of these scares, it's all about community. It's all about us together, in this together. It's all about us working with each other to help each other. Sin is no different. In fact, um. I'll just take a, a quick sampling through the scriptures for you and, and note that, that sin has always been a community issue. In Exodus chapter 32, for instance, right after the Israelites had, had made the golden calf and had committed the most heinous of sins against, of idolatry against God, Moses speaks up in verse 31 of chapter 32 of Exodus and says, so Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Can you imagine? Moses wasn't responsible for this, but he took responsibility for it. He identified with the community of faith in their sin and said, we've all sinned against you, Lord. Further on in the scriptures, in Daniel, Daniel, being a man of God, a man who lived a holy life, comes before God and prays for his people in Daniel chapter 9 this way. Oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned. We, we, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands. We're going, Daniel, please, you don't have to pray this. Stop using the word we. Say they have. No, Daniel says we have. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us, because of our unfaithfulness to you, O oh Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers, are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. And on and on he goes, identifying with the community of God and the sinfulness of God's people. We are in this together. Sin affects us all because the sin affects are contagious. Like any other virus or any other bacteria that spreads, this is a public health crisis. It is a community, a church community health crisis. And none of us are out of it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. That's a powerful observation of reality. 
hiding just makes you more and more sick. And the community more and more unhealthy. And the work of God less and less powerful. Our community's going to hell. Our region's going to hell. Our country's going to hell. We can't have a health crisis in the church. If the doctors all get sick in our land, who's going to take care of sick people? If the church is all sick, who's going to take care of the sick? Transparent vulnerability of inner life tempers pride and diffuses discord. Transparency and vulnerability are not our strong suits, but they should be. We're not invincible, we're not untouchable. We're not healthy by secretiveness, dishonesty. Loners are liars. And sinners are infecting everybody. There's no such thing as private faith. James teaches us that. Privatized faith is no faith. And by the way, a genuine confession publicly done fixes community discord when we have hurt each other by our sinfulness. Honest accountability leads to responsibility through ownership of sin, incentive to repent. Have you ever read how King David was feeling when he was in his sinfulness? Tells us in uh, Psalm 32. Listen to it. When I kept silent, when I went into hiding, When I refused to be vulnerable or transparent, David writes, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And he pauses, Selah, think about that. You know about that. You've been there. Then he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, by the way, yes, he confessed, but not until he was confronted. David went into hiding Hiding his sinfulness, trying to cover up his iniquity, trying to make decisions that would further compound his sinfulness, but he hoped he could get out of it. Getting worse and worse, sick spiritually, until finally God had had enough and he sent the prophet Nathan to him, who confronted him, who could see it in his life, who looked at him and knew, David, you don't have the joy of the Lord. You don't have the joy of this, your salvation. David, what's happened to you? Your demeanor has changed. Your whole relationship with people has changed. What has come into you? What has come over you? David, you are the man. It was then that David confessed, against thee alone I have sinned, O Lord. And was forgiven and found healing in God. In spite of the most heinous of sins, the sin of murder. And don't miss this, at the very end of verse 16, James 
points out that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, why would he just throw that in at the end there? Because it's very important. This is, this is key. You and me, if we are in the death grip of sin, its vice grip, need the powerful prayers of righteous people. That's why we confess our sins one to another. The vehicle and setting for confession and healing is prophet-like prayer. It is in the context of a righteous person who prays for you. Your health depends upon your honesty. As I understand this, your health depends upon your honesty and the righteous treasures in the community of faith who pray. You need the prayer of a righteous person. And by the way, it's not another level of human being, another, or another level of, of being created in the universe. A man, a woman like anyone else, but the difference is they're righteous and prayerful. When God gets involved, things get done. Sin makes you insensitive to God. That's what he's already taught us in James 4, verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Why? Because you've got a spiritual problem going on in your life. You're fighting with everybody. You're quarreling with everybody. All you want is your self-centered desires. You're not walking with God. You're just inviting sin into your life and you become insensitive to God. You need to confess your sins and go to a righteous person and ask them to pray for you. Sin makes you insensitive to God. It dulls you to the things of God. It dulls you to his wavelength. I don't listen to anything anyone is saying who is practicing sin. I don't listen to anything they say about moral judgment or about comments about people or purposes or plans. People who are walking around in sinfulness have very little intelligence to offer to anyone. And he uses an example here of Elijah as the righteous man, the prophet-like faith man. Now, you know, we wonder why, why would he use the Elijah story with respect to the rain and the famine and all of that? I mean, after all, this whole thing was about sickness. Why wouldn't he be using, oh, oh the time that Elijah raised the, uh, the widow's son who had died? Why wouldn't that be raise him up to health, raise him up to life? Because James has moved into sickness that's related to sinfulness. And if you track this particular situation in 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, 19, you'll realize that Elijah was moved of heart by God to be used as a prayer warrior to bring judgment upon a sin-punished land. And after they would get get right with God, God would demonstrate his power to heal them. And in the same way, God can refresh a sin-sick person and raise them up to health. But you have to come clean. You have to confess. You have to pray for each other that you will be healed. And the sign of this healing, or the sign of, uh, of this confession and this prayer and this power is the forgiveness of God, which moves us to health. 
So, we agree that some are sick because of sin. So we know that someone of us is sinning, and it's known and obvious. It usually is, you know. As I said, they go into hiding, or they go into avoiding, or they go, they're disinterested with the things of the Lord or his people, or they trash their Christian friends. That's what Paul encountered in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. That's what happens when we sin. And so I guess we should just leave them alone, right? My brothers, verse 19, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The church is not only a spiritual community and a confessing community, but the church must be a search and rescue community. What I take out of this is that the, that the Lord wants the church to exercise the available power of God to reclaim people from sin. And I don't think we're very good at it. There are two very toxic approaches to Christian life that can sicken a congregation. Both are equally fatal. The one is legalism and the other is license. Legalism is where preferences become rigid standards that somehow we impose upon each other for God's approval and, and the extreme for God to gain salvation. There's an equally fatal practice of Christians and that's called license, whereby anything goes. We cast off all restraint, all biblical and moral restraint. Faith is disconnected from behavior. We claim that I can believe this, but I can live this way. Not in your life, says James. And either one of those will make the congregation sick. And we sometimes come to the place, well, it's not my place. It's none of my business. If someone walked in here this morning with SARS, we would make it our business in a heartbeat. The country would make it their business in a heartbeat. We'd be quarantined, I would guess. Would we, John? Probably. That'd be cool. We'd all be in here together for a while. I could preach for, <laughs> preach and preach and preach. You'd want to get better real quick. <laughs> I believe that James teaches here the church has the right responsibility and biblical obligation to care for each other's souls through doctrinal and moral correction and to go after the wandering. But by the way, be prepared to get bitten if you do. Because sinners are like rabid animals. Satan has a foothold in their lives. Now, he talks here about being led away, enticed away, passive verb, from the truth to practice error. It's not just believing wrong, but it's now practicing the wrong things. And it's those kinds of things that James has already taught us. The talking... Bad talking, the faith crisis, the, 
this social climbing, the jealousy, the fighting with each other, all of that stuff, the, the wandering from the truth into friendship with the world kind of stuff, the path of falsehood, you don't want to leave people on that path because sin places you outside of the camp. You may be inside of the building this morning, but if you are entertaining sin in your life, you are outside of the camp. You are outside of the blessing of God. And, and the simple reality that James is teaching here is, look, they're outside. Get them back in. God is not the God who says, good, I got rid of them. Let's push, let's push more out of the community. No, no, God wants them back. And he'll go to endless extremes. And the point here is, and someone should bring him back. Remember, whoever turns a sinner, you see, you may be able to bring them back if you just go after them. And why would we feel this is an urgent need at all? Well, if you turn a sinner from the error of his way, you'll save him from death. Is that urgent enough? Does it get more urgent than that? You wouldn't tell someone who'd swallowed a bottle of poison, ah, you know what, go sleep that thing off. You'll be better in the morning. No, no, we go into urgent, emergent, emergency care immediately. We've we got to take care of that, that problem. Why would we think that someone can just keep sinning and saying, oh, go to sleep, go to bed, it'll be fine. Get up, take an aspirin, maybe get up in the morning, you'll be all well. Will we do that? Yeah, I think we do that too much. Ignoring a sinner's sin, don't you think, is a thousand times a thousand times worse eternally for someone? Isn't that what he's writing here? You're saying, wait a second. We're talking about believers here. Whatever happened to eternal security? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Let me, let me respond to you about eternal security. Let me read to you from 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. No one who lives in him, Jesus, keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. The language should be perseverance of the saint. A saint of Jesus Christ will persevere in holiness until Jesus comes. Oh, will we sin? Yeah, anyone who says he has no sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. Will we continue to sin not in your life? So you better get to them before this 1 John 3, 6 is a settled reality in someone's life. And can I say this to you? You ought to bless the Lord for blessing you with sin editors in your life. They are the greatest health care worker you'll ever have. Not only are they rescued from death, but the reason they're rescued from death is because in this act of confession and repentance comes reconciliation to Christ. 
the cover over of a multitude of sins. That's atonement language. That's what the, you've heard the theological term atonement. That just simply means to cover over. What Jesus did at the cross for you and for me was to cover over all of our sins, past, present, and future. Whoever confesses their sins, he'll be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Whoever confesses their sins, whoever confesses their sins, whoever confesses their sins will have their sins covered over by the atonement. That's what it means, Jesus Christ. And this cover over means that that God can't see your sins on the day of judgment. They're covered over. We need that, don't we? Is there a one of us in here who doesn't need that come judgment day to have our sins covered over through the saving work of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness? That's what he died on the cross for. To remove sin from God's sight so that God's mercy can triumph over his judgment, which is what he wants to do. what he longs to do. The church is a spiritual community. The church is a confessional community. The church is a search and rescue community. The church must not be permissive. It must not be dismissive. It must insist on purity, not with harshness, but with grace because our God is so gracious to us. But we must take advantage of the benefits of the cross. Sin is defeated. It has no hold on us. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your strength? Oh, sin, where is your strength? This is what it means to live in the kingdom of Christ, where Christ's standards are the measure of moral behavior and his heart is the keeper of our interpersonal relatedness. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. That's God's word. Our Father, Would God's people stand with me as we close in prayer? Stand with me now. Our Father, we come to you this morning with hearts, hopefully, of honesty. It's immense to us that you would forgive us of our sins. To think, Lord, that that Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, went to the cross of Calvary and paid the punishment that was rightfully mine and ours for our sinfulness, no sin had he committed, that we might have our sins forgiven and covered over so that God could no longer see our sinfulness on the day of judgment and would receive us into his holy empire forever. Lord, we, we dabble with sin and we allow it to eat its way into our lives and our hearts and our relationships. We allow it to destroy our health and we're going to let it kill us if we don't do something about it. Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit today, would you visit us this morning, right now, the church, a confessional church.
the church of search and rescue church lord i pray that you would grant us the ministry i pray that you would cause us to be missional in the reality of reaching out to those who have wandered from the truth and bring them back i pray that you would well cause us to open our arms with grace to those who find themselves in sin's clutches that they might find healing and forgiveness in this place that they might repent of their sins our father i pray and as heads are bowed this morning, I'm going to ask the same question I asked of the first service. I know that there are some of you in here this morning who have, are in the grip of sin. Satan's twisting his tentacles into your life and you have been living in this sinful situation that you have been longing to get rescued from. It's eating you alive. It's going to lead to a health crisis in your life and it will lead to death if you don't do something about it. And today is an urgent moment and I'm asking who will be the first courageous person to step out and come down to the very front of the church here. Not to be embarrassed. I'm not going to talk about your sinfulness. I'm going to offer you a place of confession where you can come and confess your sin and God's people will pray for you. The righteous people will pray. And prayer is powerful and effective. I'm going to ask you to come forward this morning and meet me and the other pastors right down here at the front of the church. You come down this morning. You step out. You come for rescue, for healing. You come confessing, agreeing that your sin is killing you. It's wrecking your life. Step out and come down here this morning that we might be able to pray for you. You step out now. Who will be first? You come. You come from anywhere. You come from the balcony. We're going to wait here. You come down here and get right with God. This is an important moment. You know God is dealing with your heart. And you know you need to get right with God. And this is an opportunity. You come forth. Thank you. You come down here now. Everybody, you come. Let us pray for you. You come and visit with God right here. This is a place to confess this morning to get right with our great God. You come now, more of you. We'll wait for you. Don't let anything, don't let any voice prevent you this morning. Don't let someone say, oh, what will people think of you? It's what God thinks about you that matters in this life. What will God think about you? God wants you. He, sent his son to die on the cross of Calvary that you might have this kind of a moment that you might be able to come here and stand here and confess your sins and be forgiven of your sins be cleansed from, your, from all unrighteousness be set in a new course a pathway of righteousness you come forward now you join these people here at the front we want to pray and God's people you pray now the righteous are to pray those walking in right ways with God this is a time to break loose chains of sin. Right now, this moment, God himself said, Jesus taught us in Matthew 18, 18, whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. We want to loose the power of sin this morning by the work of God's spirit right here where two or three are gathered in prayer. Their God is in the midst of them. This is what this is all about. You come now. Don't pass on this moment. Don't leave this place and miss this moment. If God is speaking to your heart, you respond right now this morning. We're waiting. People are still coming. I'm not going to stop until people are no longer making their way forward. We're waiting for you. You know you need to be here. Now you come. Let's get right with God. 
Uh, let's turn Calvary Baptist Church toward God. Let's turn all of our hearts toward God that he might do a powerful work in our community right here at Calvary and throughout our whole region that people might come to know Christ, that people might be healed of their sicknesses, of their sinfulness. Let's make this, let's make this a momentous day in God's place, God's house, God's presence. He's here among us. God delights in the praise of his people, where people humble themselves. He said, if my people will humble themselves and pray, I will forgive them and I will heal their land. You come now. Who's going to come from the balcony? Who's up there that needs to come down here? You come down. Come and meet us here. Our Father and God, and our God, we, we need to take our shoes off, Lord. We are in a holy place. This is a holy place this morning. You have done powerful things in this church this morning. Both services, God, the Spirit of God has visited us in a very powerful way. You want to clean us up, Lord. You want to, to uh, benefit us with all of the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ who came and died on the cross that by his stripes we might be healed. Healed of our sinfulness. Sinfulness that is making us sick and will kill us. Lord, this is what's happening today. These people are standing before you, Lord, because they want to come and confess their sin and they want to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord of glory. That Jesus alone can forgive them of their sins. That Jesus has gone to the cross to nail their sins to the, to the cross. Our sins, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. Lord, I pray that this will be a turning point in their lives. This is a point of repentance. It is coming and agreeing with you that how we have been living is wrong before you, and we want you to forgive us of our sins and change our lives. We want to live with purity and holiness. Lord, help us to make the changes in our lives that are necessary by the power of the Holy Spirit of God who will change us and set us from going on a path of waywardness and error to a path of faithfulness, living what we believe is true in practice, no longer with hypocrisy, but with purity and honesty before God, being transparent and vulnerable before you, Lord, because you know our hearts anyway. So here we are. We offer ourselves to you. We offer our whole church to you. We are sinful people. You are a righteous and holy God, and you love us. And you clean us up, Lord. Wash us and we are whiter than snow. Wash us, O oh Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen and amen. And God's people are saying amen.